Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today comes from the prophecy of Isaiah in the seventh chapter, words familiar to many of us as we hear the promise of a coming king. Listen now to the Word of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, and let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? And therefore the Lord, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, from the first chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us this day. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. During this Advent season, we have been waiting and preparing for Christmas. Each Sunday, we have been on the road to Bethlehem, and we have named those 
weeks with, by, by the candles that we've lit around the Advent wreath, the candle of hope and peace and love and today joy. Through this way of marking this route, we have claimed God's vision for the world through these attributes, through these ways in which light is shared with us through the light of a candle, but by that symbolically in our own lives as well, and even more so in the world. Hope and peace and love and joy. It's quite a road. Our hope is that God comes to a broken world. And we say that with confidence and yet also in anticipation. God will come to this broken world. We know it's broken. We live in it. We experience that personally and in our society and around the world. This is a broken world. And yet, we dare hope. We do hope. God will come to us. We anticipate that peace will come to our world, sometimes not as a dramatic act, but sometimes peace comes in our individual relationships when things resolve themselves in new ways, when new fruit, when new attitudes are born in us in our reflections to each other and in the world around us. Peace comes to us. Love is an amazing quality. There are so many definitions of it. The Greeks even had at least three words for it. Some say four. This past Thursday at the Advent luncheon here at the church, our guest speaker was the Reverend Josh Bauer from First Presbyterian Church of Albany. He asked the group that had gathered there, he said, define love. And, and the group gave some good answers, connection and service and things like that. And, and when we got through with that, he says, you know, you've given churchy answers. You've given good church people answers. But, but what about answers out in the world? What about the way the rest of the world sees this? Because love outside of these walls, outside of our homes and connections, has other meanings. It has meanings of attraction and sexuality and all sorts of other things that speak to us. In reality, Josh said, love is hard stuff. In fact, he said it's messy and maybe even stinky at times. Love gave birth to a child in a, ma in a, in a, in a manger in a stable. They laid this child in a feeding trough for animals. That's pretty messy. We sanitize it a lot, but it's pretty messy. And then he concluded by giving us a definition of love, which I think is really a good one. Love is the decision to give life to another no matter the cost. Love is the decision to give life to another no matter the cost. 
so we lit the candle of love last week. And today we come to the candle of joy. I did a Google search on the definition of joy, and I found an interesting graph. I don't know how Google does it, but you can go there, you can Google it, and you can find out the frequency of the use of the word joy historically. And today, the word is used half as often as it was 200 years ago. I don't know where they get the data, but they got it somewhere. And there's a nice graph that shows it. But not only do we use the word less, I think also the word has taken a slightly different shift in meaning. In 1822, for example, there was a, a book published, a collection, and it was called A Medley of Joy and Grief. And it had this somewhat awkward subtitle, A Selection of Prose and Verse Chiefly on Religious Subjects by a Lady of New York. So joy was supposed to be a religious topic, mostly. In the 20th century, in the middle part of the 20th century, the author C.S. Lewis wrote his own uh, memoir about his own journey, and he called it Surprised by Joy. And it spoke of his own conversion to the Christian faith and the way in which he had encountered God's love and grace in the world. But there also was a double meaning in that because Surprised by joy also refers to the woman that he ended up, he eventually married late in life, and it's a wonderful love story, but her name was Joy. The meaning of joy, though, as we commonly think of it, is associated with the joy of. For example, the joy of cooking is a, a title that's been in publication since the 1930s, and it speaks to the wonders, to the pleasures of eating, of the ways in which food is prepared. It's a gastronomical delight to read it and to anticipate the wonders of those recipes. In the 1970s, it was the 1970s, there was the joy of sex. Joy meaning pleasure in that relationship. So today, we hear the word joy and we think of, if it's not a name, we think of pleasure and, and, and uh, those sorts of things around it. But the road to Bethlehem was not a road for pleasure. They did not take that trip, Mary and Joseph, did not go to Bethlehem because it was something they thought would be good. It was not a road trip done on a whimsy. Yesterday in this very room, we had a service of witness to the resurrection for Catherine Kinnett Adams, a, a church member. And as I met with the family and as I shared yesterday, Kat had this incredible capacity to take road trips. And she did any number of trips, but she, would, she was willing to drop what she was doing and, and go out and help those that she was connected with in her family. And she was willing to do so many things. And, and she took road trips, literally, on the spur of the moment on occasions. She was willing to drive hundreds of miles, not knowing exactly how she was going to get there, but convinced she was to assist and to be present. 
as I thought about the road trips that she had taken, I thought about maybe some road trips that I have taken in my time. And sometimes they have been for whimsy. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of reconnecting with a, a friend from college. We had been fraternity brothers, and I hadn't seen him in a long time, okay? And so um, somehow or another, I learned that he was going to be moving furniture from Florence, South Carolina to, to New York City. And I emailed him, and I said, do you need somebody to ride along with you? And I did. And it was fun. And so for four days, for five days, really, we, we connected, we reconnected, and we hadn't seen each other or spoken directly other than maybe by some short email messages for all these many years, but we picked up where we left off, and it was a wonderful time. But road trips are also sometimes done when we receive a phone call and there's been a death in the family or there's a crisis, and we have to go and respond to those, and I've made those trips as well. I've gotten in planes to fly some distance to meet family or to get in the car and drive. And those have a different feeling. You may have had those sorts of trips, both the, the, the trips of spontaneity and, and connection and wonder with friends from long ago or your partners, of your lifetime partners that you decide just to get in the car and take off. And you had those trips too where you've had to make long trips with difficult circumstances. We all struggle with those. Mary and Joseph didn't want to go to Bethlehem. They weren't from Bethlehem. It wasn't their home. It was not a trip of whimsy. They went because they were required the Roman Empire decided it was time to enroll everybody, to take a head count. And so because Matthew, because Joseph was of the family of David, they went to the family ancestral home. But Matthew doesn't mention why they went specifically, but behind his verses, there is this whole wonderful prophecy from Isaiah and other places in the Old Testament. This child that Mary is bearing will be the Savior, will be Emmanuel, will be the Messiah. And the place for that to happen is Bethlehem. Joseph wasn't aware of all that that was happening. And Joseph was a righteous man, Matthew says. He did things properly. He didn't want to do things in the wrong way. He, he knew that there were traditions and rules that were in place to make things right. So he followed the path to do that. He was engaged to Mary and she became pregnant. And so the right thing to do, the right thing, was to dissolve that relationship and send her away. But Joseph had a dream. And the angel said, there is another right way because the child that will be born will be the one that the prophet spoke of. The child that will be born is to be named God is with us. And when he awoke, he knew there was a new right path. And that right path 
led them to Bethlehem. Joseph knew that the world was broken. Joseph knew that to hold on to hope was to be a conviction that something was going to happen in this broken world. He knew that there was peace that would happen in small ways, and he was willing to participate in the giving of life without regarding its cost. The decision was hard, and it was costly. After Jesus was born and after the wise men came, you will recall Matthew says King Herod sent to Bethlehem his soldiers to slaughter the babies, the male children. And so Joseph and Mary made their way to Egypt where he became, where they became refugees from the oppressive power. Joy. Joy is that sense of fulfillment of God's desire. In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, it says God created and it runs through the days of creation. And at the end of each day, from day one through day six, there is this, this proclamation, and God said that it was good. God made the world to be a good place, to be a wonderful place, and yet there has come into the world despair and anger and sin and how to make that right again. To make that right again, God sent the Christ. God sent the Messiah, the Savior, to make the world right again, not in a legalistic sense, but in a relational sense so that we could be right with God, so that the ruin and despair could be set aside. Fulfillment could be had Joy could be known, wonder, happiness, power, and light. Advent is letting us know that the fulfillment of hope and peace and light and love and joy are not simply lights on candles that we claim every Advent season. It is something more than that. It is the birth of a child who will open us all to the possibilities of those attributes and those wonders. But beyond that, will open us to a right relationship with God and through God with each other so that we may be brothers and sisters and we may claim new brothers and sisters through baptism as we did today with Zuri. Advent is gaining confidence as we look forward to hope and peace and love and joy so that it may fill the world, not only knowing that the birth of the Christ child happened long ago, but knowing that the advent of God's rule in the world is near to us, is with us, and we live in anticipation of it daily. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. 
First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.